Hello, and welcome to another episode of Made With, the podcast exploring the stuff of America through a critical lens on the extractive, manufactured, and elemental materials and processes of creation. Today's episode is made with copper wire yarns, that is, a specialized form of yarn that is used to develop dynamic and charged textiles. Copper wire has historically been used for the transference of electricity. However, with the larger space that textiles take in our world today, integrating the copper wire into the yarn unit itself has allowed for electricity and computational forces to be challenged through more malleable and versatile forms. Copper is a reddish-brown metallic, highly ductile and malleable element that is an excellent conductor of heat and is arguably one of mankind's most important metals. Copper has been used for thousands of years and it possesses unique properties that make it essential for modern civilization. It's one of the few metals that has antibacterial properties that can make it ideal for medical applications. It's also recyclable and can be melted to be used more than once. It's highly malleable and can be shaped into thin wires without any chances of breakage. This versatility and its high electrical and heat conductivity make it essential for electrical components used across industries and continents. Applications such as such as smart devices, like the device you're hearing this podcast from, building wire building wiring, telecommunication, and electronics account for roughly three quarters of the global copper use. However, it is important to consider the histories of copper's far and wide global footprint. Some of the most significant transcontinental events during the 18th century are linked with the production of copper. Sugar production in the Caribbean, textile making practices in South America, the transatlantic slave trade, the Battle of Saints, the development of the steam engine, the cotton gin, rum production machinery, and even telegraphs. Copper was conspicuous in the New World. The widespread ecological regime of the period relied on the extractions of many materials, copper being a vital one. The large-scale mining of copper had its origins in the 1800s. In the late 1800s, in fact, primarily in the American West, the development of efficient flotation processes opened up the exploitation of land in Arizona, Montana, and Utah. Large polyphorous ore deposits in which the copper-bearing minerals were widely dispersed were subjected to open-pit mining making the United States one of the largest producers of copper in a short span of time. The electrical mill industry started in 1877, when a Connecticut brass mill man named Thomas Doolittle developed hard-drawn copper wire that was strong enough to be strung overhead. Prior to that time, iron wire had been used in the telegraph system. Thereafter, the telephone system was commercialized quickly, and with it, the demand for copper wires skyrocketed. However, conversations on the industrialization and economic growth that are related to copper cannot be, ha- cannot be had in isolation of the histories of indentured labor and transcontinental trade that are linked to the contemporary realities of this extractive material. 
Today, at a national level, copper is an important export for many countries. According to some of the largest uh, economic and financial forecasts and uh, forecasts and broadcasts from magazines like Forbes and uh, Business Insider, the revenue that is generated from copper mining can help to fund infrastructure and development in many countries. Currently, more than 40% of the world's copper production is controlled by just two countries, Chile and Peru, and polit- political developments in South America are turning the tide against copper miners. The extraction processes are called heap and in-situ leaching. During these processes, particles react with each other to create an acidic mist that not only harms people's skins, eyes, and lungs, but also destroys crops, deteriorates the quality of the land, and damages nearby buildings and spaces. The acidic dust tastes and smells bad. Miners are exposed to these dangerous conditions for long periods of time and are subject to life-threatening conditions as a result. These histories of material memories and extractive injustices are, are attached to the copper element in and of itself. In fact, it's paradoxical to consider the deadly impacts that copper can have on the body of the human who mines it while having exponentially better and healing progressive qualities on the person who is consuming it or using this material. The recent trend of reviving cuprotherapy, that's the practice of using copper as a proactive multivitaminic from ancient Greece and Rome, typifies this exact relation. Copper wire clothing, furniture, wound dressings, pillowcases, and more have really ingrained copper and given it great prominence in popular culture. From Gwyneth Paltrow's copper-infused socks and gloves, for women on the go, as she says, to Kate Hudson's Fabletics, copper wire yarns are being used extensively in the production of wellness and health-related products. Copper's potent biocidal properties, its role in facilitating various physiological and metabolic processes that are critical for appropriate functioning of body tissues and synthesizing and stabilizing extracurricular, uh, extracellular um, matrix skin proteins and angiogenesis make it a vital emergent material in textile consumer and medical device products. It's now being used to cure athlete's foot, improve skin elasticity, reduce wrinkles, and even enhance wound healing. It is interesting to note the manner in which the copper yarn itself has been an integral part of functional objects in the industry and in domestic spaces. The textile yarn unit comprises a copper core within natural or artificial fibers for the purpose of electromagnetic shielding and electrical transmission. Copper wire yarns are anti-static because of their conductivity. The fiber absorbs and disperses electrical charge that is accumulated from the environment. Aside from their functional use, copper wire yarns have become essential in the processes of computing textiles, a practice that's often linked to ideas of programming or decoding specific woven or knit structures, or even encrypting data that might be essential in the production or persistence of a textile. But one might ask, 
What does that really mean? What does computing a textile mean outside of the technical jargon that is provided as an explanation? To understand that, we can turn to the world of fine arts, where applications of copper wire yarn explain the larger role that it may play in the world of functional textiles. Zimenea Gardeoleca, an artist and designer from Lima, Peru, who through her compelling sculptures and installations examines the fraught history of Peru shaped largely by the uneasy entanglement of indigenous and colonial cultures and often recreates quintessentially Peruvian sites like a decorative fountain or shrines for the dead, um, presenting them as visual manifestations of her culture's history, country's history. Recently in her work has pivoted towards more experimental media, such as copper yarns, to consider issues of resource extraction, land expropriation, and indigenous cultural revival. As a strong advocate for the revival of Peru's indigenous culture, she often references European art traditions to critique and rebalance history, and the manner in which neo-colonial standards are transmitted through the processes of globalization. As outlined by the curators of the Cadist Gallery in Paris, her work closely approaches the memory of artisanal tradition and the abandonment of rural spaces as an after-effect of the processes of modernization. She is sensitive to specific qualities and associations of the material and natural elements by scrutinizing urban, rural and vernacular architecture and concentrating on spaces where a mediatory materiality is visible between the specific and the universal. Her work insinuates a permanent tension between the, inher in between the inheritance of vernacular culture and the new demands of industrialization, signaling the violence that is contained in an accelerated transnational economic model in increasingly open confrontation with the protection of the environment, sovereignty, and respect for different community lifestyles. But the question remains, how does her work allow us to understand the computational potentials of electric textiles as we may call them? For this, we must turn to one of her more recent works, displayed in the fifth edition of the Kochi Muzuris Biennale in 2022. Redes de Conversion is one of her most famous works. Created in 2021, this work is a plain weave textile with numerically different groups of green and purple wefts that are made with insulated copper wire yarns and attached to an LED panel. The work presents a series of textiles that create patterns and designs based on primary structures of pre-Columbian weaves. During the elaboration of these pieces, a basic language was developed that represented the action of weaving and twining of cables by analyzing the warp and weft of each of the pre-Columbian textiles, the repetitions of shapes and colors were transcribed into a written notation in order to identify basic patterns and therefore represent their essence. This language that was initially represented by diagrams, arrows, numbers and code in handwritten notes was shared with a group of system programmers to be translated into a logical programming code. The weaving patterns were interpreted as consonants to then develop a language based on commands through JavaScript 
which is one of the most commonly used programming codes nowadays. In the case of textiles with twining elements, a graphic program was used to convert the interlaces and knots to a vector system, translating them into a code. In this exhibition, the flow of energy that has been absorbed by solar panels that are located outside the building was transported through the cables of the textiles. Through this installation, the different transformations of energy are highlighted from solar to electrical and then back to light through the diodes of the LED screens. In each of the textiles, the energy that circulates through them feeds the LED panels that shows the code developed by the programmers. The contrast between the vernacular textile techniques and contemporary technological systems refers to the changes and conflicts related to modernization in the Andean context. On the one hand, the idea of the solar god in the pre-Hispanic world and the textile tradition are contrasted with notations such as the exploitation of natural resources and mechanized industry, where this type of programming is used for industrialized weaving. At the same time, the code language creates parallels between atavic data storage systems through wefts and knots and contemporary code systems, creating a hybrid information language. As in the law of conservation of energy, which stipulates that energy is in a permanent state of transformation, the textiles in one way or another are represented as a flow of information that is constantly changing its form moving from an ancestral system to a modern technology in which information travels through wires. The latter as well is in the process of gradually becoming obsolete, giving way to wireless networks. In the meantime, the series of textiles are inserted as part of this constant transformation, an energy that is changing from one form to another. This work not only decodes ancient weaving languages and scripts from Colombia, but also speaks to the manner in which extractive materials such as copper and ethnic knowledge systems create the very bedrock of computational processes that pervade the modern world. In an attempt to return to the idea of computing textiles and the role that metal wire yarns, such as copper wire yarns, play in this process, and more broadly, the interaction of computational methods and textile production, we have here with us a RISD community member, Dean Brooks Hagen. Brooks Hagen, the current Dean of Fine Arts at the Rhode Island School of Design, has taught here since 2006 and seeks to integrate hand-based practices with industrial manufacturing and new technologies. He has instructed students in jacquard design for more than a dozen years and has co-taught and created popular interdisciplinary courses such as Textiles Transforming into Furniture, Digital Sense, and AD Collab, Art and Design Interdisciplinary Collaboration in Theory and Practice. Hi Dean Hagen, since we are speaking about copper wire yarns, I think before getting into anything else, I want to speak a little bit about the relationship between materiality and, and technique and textiles. What is this relationship that lives in between all of these three and how do we begin to rationalize and understand it? Now, with the advent of like 3D printing, and yeah. stuff, you could very easily design, redesign those mm -hmm. um, 
apparatus or whatever mm -hmm. it, is, it is that you could add to a loom to create these types of fabrics. Mm -hmm. So super, super interesting. In addition, like they're just so beautiful. Mm -hmm. So yeah, the, it is a practice that really rewards precision. And unfortunately, a lot of like almost every error shows. You know, mm -hmm. it's it's like a little unforgiving in that way. Yeah. But, yeah. Yeah. Um, I think it's one of those things with practice. It just mm -hmm. like you know you anticipate the pitfalls mm -hmm. and things. So. But it's not for every, you know. Mm -hmm. Some people are weavers, some not, and it's. I think what's so cool about the field is that you can. I mean, I know many mm -hmm. people who are, who are really primarily painters. Mm -hmm. and they just happen to work and repeat, but mm -hmm. color, scale, content mm -hmm. are all the all the driving forces mm -hmm. for them. And materiality isn't as much of a thing. Yeah. yeah. And then other, I know other people who are just like I always describe them as like architects in miniature. Mm -hmm. You know, like they're just incredible constructions and things mm -hmm. for the fabrics and. But it's you know it's six yeah. by six inches or something. Yeah. yeah. So. yeah. I think it's also um, for the first time I was I was at, I'm, I'm doing weaving too right uh, Darby with Lisa right now, yeah. and she um, told us to consider what happens in the width of a textile, which I think is yeah. again something we don't consider as much. Um, mm -hmm. You know when you're looking at like double weave blocks, I think for the first time you're considering. Um, two fabrics and then what is really happening in between yeah um, yeah because otherwise you look at length and you know length and breadth and right yeah not the width the thickness sorry yeah. thickness yeah. of yeah. the fabric like yeah. what is in between mm -hmm. um, and you can put things in there if you yeah. want um, and then there are techniques that allow you to go from two to four to mm -hmm. sixteen to like sixty-four you can have like tons of layers mm -hmm. and then the fabric becomes Really thick. Yeah. I I actually want to know more about um about the projects that you worked on, um, like I think Weft was one of them that I oh, read yeah. about. Well, some of them were collaborations with scientists, and mm -hmm. they are like a little bit inaccessible. Mm -hmm. You know. It's, yeah. Yeah. I. Um, so I've been working. I've been working with some computer scientists at Cornell and mm -hmm. Stanford for like, the last decade, mm -hmm. and from them I learned about you know preparing. Um, so it would be in the realm of HCI, mm -hmm. primarily human-centered mm -hmm. interfaces, um, and how we could work together to use both, you know, computer science mm -hmm. technologies and um, problem framing mm -hmm. with like contemporary, mm -hmm. almost craft and industrial mm -hmm. practices. Um, and the uh, the driving force behind a lot of that investigation was just how bad our um, our CAD tools are mm -hmm. and how. Little, little information the computer gives back to a designer um, when you're trying to do something that's really complex and abstract. Other programs, other fields are like way more advanced than we are. I don't know if you've ever seen, ever seen like, well, Rhino's a good example, yeah. right? And now Rhino's kind of the lingua franca. Mm -hmm. But, you know, even like the parametric plugins and things, and mm -hmm. just how you're able to get like a lot of haptic and sort of informational feedback from this very, I don't want to say simple, but like pretty widely utilized mm -hmm. platform. So that's primarily for making stuff, like mm -hmm. objects. Mm -hmm. um, and architecture is the same way. Um, you can, you know, turn like force simulators onto a building and mm -hmm. show what's going to happen to the structure and like mm -hmm. a heavy wind and things like that. So it's like things resembling yeah. the real world. Mm -hmm. And there's none of that. And textiles and yet it's one of the most physical mm. materials right um, 
so that that's kind of where this all started. Was mm-hmm. Like, why are these programs mm-hmm. not giving us mm-hmm. the information that we we could really benefit from? Mm-hmm. Um, and also, why are, why is there so much guesswork? Yeah. And and that's not good from a waste standpoint. Mm-hmm. It's it's good from a creative. Like, I think often um, a lot of the best discoveries are by accident. Mm-hmm. That's part of that process mm-hmm. is to kind of just tr- make trials and mm. like you think you know it's going to come out from the CAD program but then you, can, you see the fabric and you're yeah. like what yeah there's this huge gap between mm-hmm. the two things yeah so that's really where a lot of the work that I have been doing mm-hmm. um, came into play because then it, it begins to bring up these like really mm. nice problems for the computer science mm. computer engineering folks which are mm. like what what is yarn actually doing mm. in a sample whether it's knitted or, or woven, and how do you like model it so mm-hmm. that it's it's like accurate, mm-hmm. um, not like computationally impossible for a computer, like for mm-hmm. a, a graphics card to, yeah. to deal with, and um, above all, like useful mm-hmm. um, for the designer, like giving you the right feedback. Mm-hmm. Um, so that. Um, those are all like great, great problems. Um, and so I've, over the last decade or so, I've just been working with folks on all of that stuff. Like, mm-hmm. um, and Weft was the first, like the first stab at it. It was like, mm-hmm. let's try to remake something that's interactive. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was, the interactivity was like a big, yeah. big thing, like mm-hmm. seven or eight years ago, because mm-hmm. computers were not fast enough at that point yeah. for a web-based program to give you live feedback. Mm-hmm. Um, but then suddenly they were, so <clears throat> um, the idea was about let's let's like take this like binary drafting mm-hmm. system and not deal with that. Yeah. Let's focus on like what's happening on the surface of the fabric mm-hmm. and how changes mm-hmm. impact the surface. Mm-hmm. And that's really the information that you're you're kind of going for mm-hmm. with jacquard weaving yeah. to some degree, unless you're creating like really architectural fabrics. Mm-hmm. So. But it opened up all sorts of other questions about like something that was deeper and mm. like more about actually like yarn, and, like mm. yarn going around corners mm. or you know like yarn changing directions, shuttles changing direction, mm-hmm. um, and it applies to knits too, obviously. Mm-hmm. Um, so then that's where the like a related project about three mm-hmm. D weaving came mm-hmm. into play, and that's basically adding a third axis to weaving. So mm-hmm. instead of it just being like X and Y, yeah. and now there's a Z that goes down yeah. into the fabric. Yeah. So, um, and that gives us a perfect mm-hmm. format for looking at what the heck yarns are doing mm-hmm. and how do you interact with them in a way that allows it to make sense mm-hmm. for a designer. Mm-hmm. It's still like an open question, because yeah. it gets confusing so fast. Mm-hmm. Like you're like, what layer am I on? And mm-hmm. which shuttle is it? And where does yeah. it need to turn around? Mm-hmm. But the potential. In Mm-hmm. If we can control it better, mm-hmm. is that you can make fully formed soft objects. Yeah. So that's why we took on the the grand challenge of a shoe, because mm-hmm. it was like, well, what's a fully what would be a cool like fully formed object? Mm-hmm. But there are many others like bags and um, you know accessories and home goods, tabletop mm-hmm. stuff, like all sorts of things mm-hmm. could come out of it. Um, it's not quite like. 3D printing, in fact, it's totally different yeah. in its approach, but a lot of the things that, mm-hmm. a lot of the objects that are formed through that process could, in theory, be formed by weaving. Yeah. And then that becomes interesting for the reason that you're here, mm-hmm. like copper yarn, yeah. getting embedded 
circuitry mm-hmm. and embedded mm-hmm. conductivity, yeah. things like that. So, I, I was wondering about this, um, not even just in relation to like copper wire yarns, but like everything you just said. Yeah. Um, I think people often talk about this idea of like you know smart textiles mm-hmm. or like computation in textiles and I I think there is like a lack of understanding with like what that really means mm-hmm. um, and I, I feel like I don't understand it entirely yeah. either um, what would you say that is like that world well so I think that we approach it as the designer side mm-hmm. of things which means that we're looking for kind of like a particular response or like I don't want to say solution but we're kind of looking at it with a a lens for like its um, feedback and success with like to a particular set of criteria Um, and I think that to computer science folks there's like a different set of problems that's more more about how you get from like point A to point B Um, and they do meet in the realm of textiles in a really interesting way so I've approached it through um, as I said like modeling like computer graphics um, because there just is so much area for improvement there. Um, but now that is, um, through the Virtual Textile Research Group, that mm-hmm. is, is starting to go in other really interesting directions, like mm-hmm. about almost like AI, AI input, mm-hmm. like just driving fabrics by words, mm-hmm. and then like what, with enough parameters, what are the generated results mm-hmm. that you get from it. A lot of these things are still not precise, as like nearly as um, yeah. precise as just sitting down at a loom mm-hmm. and just picking a yarn and knowing everything yeah. all at once and then intuitively assembling it. Mm-hmm. Um, well, I don't know if we'll ever get to a point where it has that same mm-hmm. um, directness, mm-hmm. um, and nor should it, because the materials are materials, and like the virtual yeah. is like the virtual. They're not. They're really not the same thing, mm-hmm. even though we try to create verisimilitude. But I am. Um, I do think there's this potential for being able to make more complex things mm-hmm. if we can better understand um, what's happening in mm-hmm. a fabric. So that's where a computation comes into play. And mm-hmm. it, then it's about almost like software design, yeah. like making an interface that mm-hmm. uses like some sort of contemporary approach to graphics mm-hmm. so that when you're working in a computer, like you actually understand mm-hmm. what you're building. Mm-hmm. And it's not overwhelming, and actually it's creative. And mm-hmm. then it's like it is really like architecture mm-hmm. or, or some sort of industrial design process, mm-hmm. and then mm-hmm. the manufacturing takes on its own unique attributes because of the nature of mm-hmm. fiber and yarn. Mm-hmm. Um, I have a question here. Yeah. Um, so you're the dean of fine arts, and you know you worked at, at in like RISD textiles for yeah. so many years. Where do you think? the worlds of like art and design lie um, and how do they because I see a lot of what you do as like you know design work yeah. and um, and I don't even know if there needs to be a distinction but you know there is like a perceived distinction at yeah. least yeah. Um, and especially in relation to like the world of textiles also contextualizing it with like what RISD textiles does yeah it's um, yeah. a good question I think the cool thing about textiles is that, I mean, it says it on this poster for the senior show, is mm-hmm. that it can be kind of anything, yeah. right? And so there's a whole bunch of, like, really sweet design mm-hmm. problems to be working on. Mm-hmm. And then it's incredibly expressive. It's, like, mm-hmm. one of the most, like, hot, contem- like, contemporary mm-hmm. art formats right mm-hmm. now. Like, um, I'm just thinking, like, about, like, tapestry mm-hmm. and, like, introducing mm-hmm. yarn and materiality, mm-hmm. substance into mm-hmm. otherwise two-dimensional sort of painterly... Yeah 
contexts. Mm-hmm. It's like really like hasn't has never been more like mm-hmm. popular and well received. Mm-hmm. I think, and part of that I think is about the heritage of material and, and mm-hmm. the meaning of material, and it's 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 like you know incredible expressive potential. So that's one of the things that really excites me about the field is that we can be focusing on like making shoes or we can be focusing on making like cont- huge scale contemporary mm-hmm. tapestries or something like that. Um, this is, but um, one of the simplest ways I've ever heard it put is that um, to some degree design is like problem solving mm-hmm. and, and to some degree art is problem seeking. Mm-hmm. And so there is an artfulness to like every design process, mm-hmm. right? When you're trying to define what you want to do. Mm-hmm. And then there is also a designerliness to every art process yeah. when you're executing, mm-hmm. the, you know, whatever the thing. So there is mm-hmm. some real similarity there. But I think in in textiles mm-hmm. are again like the fine arts nature of it, mm-hmm. plus the the like the technical use of materials um, mm-hmm. creates this really great opportunity for a mm-hmm. flow between. Mm-hmm erring on the expressive side and erring on like the finely refined side and it, mm-hmm. like I think about this this shoe mm-hmm. when we decided to do that mm-hmm. it was literally like we jumped off a cliff it yeah. felt like that it was like let's make a shoe I'm like mm-hmm. oh my god there's no way we can do it but that sort of feeling was like mm-hmm. let's go like let's try it like yeah. that that spirit I think was kind mm-hmm. of part of both art and design mm-hmm. yeah and and then we failed like hundreds of times we made like hundreds of these mm-hmm. and they didn't work but sticking to it. Yeah. yeah. So. Failing upwards. Yeah, failing upwards. Yeah, yeah. It's a good way putting it. On the note of failing upwards, it's interesting to get back to this idea of um, copper wire yarns and the lack of exploration that has happened in this space. Um, just with the hopes of constantly trying and, you know, hopefully failing upwards in the future as well. Um, I want to thank you, Dean Hagen, for this conversation. It was extremely fun, extremely informative. Um, it's interesting how the topic traveled from the copper wire yarn itself to a larger discussion on computing textiles and the role that this novel raw material and emergent material as well play in the worlds of art and design and how craft works as a synthesizing force in this space. Considering the role that new technological advancements and the manner in which the yarn unit itself is rapidly growing allows us to really broaden our understanding of textiles and what consumer goods can be made with these textiles, um, especially with us just kind of propelling ourselves into this new future. While processes like 3D printing have in fact, you know, revolutionized the world of industrial design by creating new ways of information processing and visualization and prototyping, I think our discussion has given us some hope that in the future there can be more user-friendly ways of achieving similar feats in textile media as well. More than anything else, I'm leaving this discussion with a new outlook on the scope that textiles through copper wire yarns or even other ways uh, aim to problematize what a textile really is and how it can be developed with materials that aren't conventionally fiber-based. Thank you so much for listening to this podcast. We hope you have come out of this with a lot of new information, a lot of new thoughts, and we hope you enjoy the next episode of Made With.